0: Hello and welcome to Giving Ventures, a podcast to help you grow your giving and change the world for the better. Each episode, we share innovative charitable efforts leveraging private philanthropy to solve public problems. I'm your host, Peter Lipset, Vice President at Donors Trust. This show is a product of Donors Trust, the oldest and largest donor advised fund focused on helping conservative and libertarian donors of all capacities simplify, protect, and grow their giving. My colleagues and I talk with a lot of groups doing great work. This show lets us share a bit of what we learned with you, so you can discover new projects for your own philanthropy. Today, we're talking with three dynamic ladies running three dynamic groups, Independent Women's Forum, the Policy Circle, and the Network of Enlightened Women. These groups all have one thing in common. Their goal is to engage women on the ideas of liberty and freedom. How each of them goes about it, well, that's a little bit different for each of them. We know this work is important. Every election cycle, we hear of the importance of soccer moms or suburban women or whatever the slice of the female electorate is that seen to hold sway. Well, these groups you're going to hear from today are helping to communicate a message of free market values to those constituencies, not just in election years, but every single day of the year, so they become engaged and active parts of civic life. It's important work, so let's get into it. We'll kick things off today looking at one of the most tenured of the center-right women's groups, Independent Women's Forum. Founded in 1992, IWF has been a critical voice for conservative women uh, through its exceptional group of wise, insightful, and diverse fellows Carrie Lucas has been at IWF since 2003 and serves as its president for the last six years. Carrie, IWF's tagline, which I've always liked, is "All, all issues are women's issues. But if that's true, then why do we need a group like IWF when there's all these other think tanks out there thinking about these issues all the time?
1: Sure. Um, Well, thanks so much for for having me on and letting me talk a little bit about this. Um, Because you're right, obviously all issues are women's issues, um, but that doesn't mean that uh, women aren't affected differently and don't have different priorities and kind of perspectives as they approach policy issues. There's a lot of research that shows how women, uh, think differently about issues uh, like the economy. Um, women are often more worried about the downside. Um, you know, women are caregivers and they worry not just about themselves, but about vulnerable people in their lives. Um, so We need to talk to them, and especially as we're focused on explaining the benefits of limited government and economic um, liberty, um, we need to make sure that we're speaking in a language and about the circumstances, kind of the unique situation um, and perspective of women. So we talk about how policies uh, affect women, but also, you know, we're women talking to women.
0: And I'd even venture to say that the the key word there is talking, that, that you're not a think tank in a traditional sense, although you do do some great scholarly work. But the most valuable piece of what you do is that communications, that talking to people. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, no, abs- absolutely. You know, and when you when we, we talk about like there are all issues are women's issues, but there are some issues that are a real focus for us because they do have kind of a particular women's uh focus or theme. Um, so while we talk about taxes and about national security, um, really when you think about IWF and some of the issues that we really lead on, um, it's issues that are kind of particular for women. That's in child care, paid leave, workplace flexibility issues, some of the sexual harassment, um, you know, women in sports. These are all issues where I feel like we pl- have a particular, particularly important role to play.
0: So what's the origin story of IWF? How did it bubble up back in 92?
1: Yeah, I think it's really important. It says a lot about us because we were formed in the wake of the um, uh, Clarence Thomas hearings. There was a lot of women, or there was a group of women, who realized they were very uncomfortable with kind of the the tenor of what was happening there. They were frustrated with how um, Justice Thomas was being characterized. Um, And with this idea that the left was getting to, was kind of positioned in the media as if they spoke for all women. And they also felt as though the women who were being pointed to on the right didn't really represent, um, you know, they were more kind of traditionally conservative um, and they wanted to have kind of a different brand of women and more modern brand of women um, represented. So um, IWF was founded. Um, importantly, we don't uh, weigh in on abortion. That's a, an issue that we don't tackle because there's a lot of groups on um, on either side of talk, talking about that. And also when people hear about, when abortion becomes kind of the, is a part of the mix, people tend to tune out if you're, um, you're either you know, one way or the other, you're not going to continue listening and you kind of pigeonhole that group. And so we don't talk about that. Um, we also tend to be, you know, we're, we try to we speak both um, about the importance of family and, um, and children for women, but then are also very pro-working mom. We recognize that women are, are very valuable members of the workforce and we want women to pursue their own visions of happiness, um, whatever that may be.
0: Now, over the years, you've added a lot of new programs, uh, continue to grow. Uh, One of those is a legal center that you just added in the past couple years, which I know y'all have been excited about. It seems to be doing some great work. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it is when you look at kind of the terrain of the vehicles and the organizations that the left have, you'll see that they have massive um, feminist legal centers and they're suing and they're constantly um, kind of making the case for a progressive worldview in the courts. Um, And there really isn't um, much to counter that on the right. And that's why we thought it was important to get in the game and start focusing on these legal issues. Um, Sometimes um, Independent Women's um, Law Center has focused on Supreme Court nominations, which often have um, a big component of um, women's issues come up quite a a bit during during that. Um, But also we're weighing in on a lot of different cases and filing amicus briefs to, to put our perspective and make sure that our perspective um, the value of limited government and kind of those c- core principles, that core concept of how the government is supposed to have a balance of power. Um, we put that out there and show why it's women are, have a vested interest in maintaining that constitutional system as well.
0: How many cases do you have working through the center? Do you know?
1: You know, we have we are not yet large enough to initiate. We haven't been initiating lawsuits um, on our own, although that may change. And with more support, we certainly could could get in that game. Um, but right now we are mostly focused on amicus briefs and kind of breaking down complicated um, legal concepts.
0: Well, you're bringing in Important voice uh, with the Amicus Brief in all of these, so I know that's important. So, so the other thing that you've been building, really more, much more recently, is this kind of activist network. If you can, if I can use that phrase, this independent women's uh, network. What, what is that? It's more of a membership organization.
1: Yeah. yeah, it is a, a membership organization. And um, and basically, um, again, I feel like there was um, a, a lot of, we were hearing from a lot of our followers, people who see, us, see our spokeswomen on TV, um, follow us in social media, kind of interact with some of our educational messaging. But they said, know, yeah, what can we do? We want to do something. We want to do more. Um, they want to get involved. And so um, we are creating a membership organization. Um, we have a membership platform so that people can come in um, and talk kind of behind a, a closed door um, and talk about issues that are affecting them. And we're starting chapters um, in key p- parts of the country. We have you know, chapters growing and are encouraging people to, to work together um, on key issues. You know, I, I think especially one thing that's been so heartening um, today is seeing the level of activism at the local level. And you see all these people who are, are realizing that, yes, National battles are important, but my goodness, you know, if I can't win and decide what's happening in my kids' local schools, um, you know, we need to win a lot of little battles if we're ever going to um, kind of win the big battles. And so we're encouraging that, you know, we're trying to work with parent groups um, and get them involved not only in fighting back in their communities, but then also turning and having a voice, um, you know, using their voice there, but then also taking their voice national so they can they, they can weigh in on those those debates at all levels of government.
0: Now, is the Independent Women's Network, is it a whole separate organization? Is it a C6 or C4 to get IRS jargony?
1: Yeah, so we have um, Independent Women's um, Forum has um, a C4 partner, Independent Women's Voice, and um, Independent Women's Network is a, really a joint project between um, the two organizations. Um, independent Women's Forum provides a lot of kind of the educational materials and does more kind of the deep policy work. But obviously, when it does get into more specific legislation or things that are really um, kind of uh, in the political sphere, that's a project of Independent Women's of Women's Voice. But we you know, are able to kind of leverage some of Independent Women's Forum's uh, your policy work for, for that for that format.
0: So speaking of the political sphere, what issues as you look to the landscape here in 2022, what are the issues you think that are going to take up the most time of you and your scholars? What are you going to be talking about?
1: Yeah, you know, it's been interesting. It's already been such a busy year with, um, you know, we care a lot about education, not surprisingly. We've been really active in fighting against the federal takeover of child care, um, which was a big part of the Build Back Better plan and um, and is, continues to be a priority on the left. We've been fighting paid leave, um, which is another, you know, we worry about a, a federal paid leave entitlement, which would destroy so much workplace flexibility. But actually, I think that if I had to name the one issue that is um, kind of uh, the biggest deal um, for 2022, it is kind of this concept of of women as a uh, legal definition. Um, Obviously, from the left, there has been a push for the ERA, um, and um, this has been working its way through the courts and in Congress. um, Some um, of the left has been trying to resurrect the ERA, and, and in addition, there's been a push to pass laws um, and proposals like the Equality Act, which would basically add um, sexual orientation and transgendered status to um, protected categories, and we think it's really important that um, that we have a really healthy conversation about this, um, because it's easy to become pigeonholed as being, you know, um, anti-transgendered um, people or homophobic, um, and that's not what this is about. Um, but there is a real concerted effort to kind of erase. Women as a legally distinct entity, and there obviously there there are legitimate reasons why women um, and biological women should be able to be recognized as a a single sex. The most obvious has been in women's sports, where there's been a lot of kind of high profile um, problems with um, with biological males being able to come into women's space. But this is also a a real human rights issue in terms of prisons and homeless. Uh, like battered women's shelters, um, that this is something that we think it's important to stand up and speak on behalf of kind of the concept of women and make sure that we aren't erased illegally or erased from law as a legal legal concept. So that's one of the big priorities we have for 2022.
0: Well, that's not a small fight. None of these are small fights, uh, but you are a big group doing big things. And we really appreciate all that you are doing at IWF and your whole team. And so thanks for joining us, Carrie.
1: Well thank you so much for for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: Our second group reimagines what discussions around policy look like rather than stodgy talks by buttoned up policy experts at a podium. A typical policy circle event takes place in a living room with coffee or maybe a bottle of wine, plus a dense policy brief and some serious, honest, open discussion. It's engaging women around the country in policy discussions like no one else is, frankly. Stacey Blakely is Executive Director of the Policy Circle and is here to help us understand it better. So, Stacey, why don't we start with the basics? Tell us what the Policy Circle is.
2: Well, thank you, Peter. We're delighted to be here to talk about this with you. The Policy Circle is a grassroots 501c3 organization, and our mission is to inform and equip women uh, so they can be more effective and impactful civic leaders. And we do this in a number of ways. One is the roundtable model that you just discussed. Another is through a great deal of virtual and in-person programming. And the third is through a proprietary civic leadership engagement roadmap that we've developed. So we can dig into those more. But really at the heart of it, the policy circle is a community of women who care deeply about Uh, their communities. They care about this country, and they're interested in having substantive conversations. But at the end of the day, these are women that like to take action. And we are now uh, finding, maybe more than ever, that people are interested in understanding how government works, how public policies are created, but more importantly, how can they be more involved?
0: And it's important to note that this isn't just a conservative women's club, right? I mean, you fairly impressively, you guys pull in a pretty diverse group ideologically, uh, and but you don't also hide your pro-market bias, which is, which is still there. How do you pull that off?
2: Let me tell you, it's my favorite part, to be honest with you, of this job, and that's the women that I get to interact with. They come from every stage and phase of life, professionally, from their leadership journey, But what I also love is we really have a culture of respect, uh, respect for ideas, even if they maybe are things we disagree upon. But I think the reason that we're able to appeal to a broader group of women is because what we're doing transcends politics. Because at the end of the day, regardless of what your party affiliation is, we find women are hungry for facts. They're hungry for reliable information. And the policy circle briefs provide a great deal of content as you said some of these briefs can be a little bit dense others you can read in 30 minutes but we have a policy editor and she spends hundreds of hours reading the white papers sifting through news sources looking at government data so that we don't have to and we can sit down and click through this brief and get a really great overview of the history of an issue what's the current landscape and what are the proposed reforms But you can click on every link in our brief, Peter, if you want to spend hours. It's open sourced. And so we've found that women want to get together and they want to talk about facts. And that is policy. They don't necessarily need to be digging into personalities, which is often politics. And I'd say the second reason that we're able to attract women um, that may or may not agree um, is that we focus on solutions that are rooted in innovation entrepreneurial values, and quite honestly, things that work. And so what we find is we're able to highlight free market solutions because they work. (laughs) And we have the data to back that up. We're also able to highlight how impactful local level control is when it comes to addressing and solving problems. And I'll tell you, one woman we sat down with, and, and she had a very progressive viewpoint And she said, so you're anti-big government. And I said, no, actually, we're anti-inefficient government. And so any policies that lead to more inefficiency, that's not what we're going to highlight. But at the end of the day, you're supposed to read the brief and make up your own mind. So we find that's attractive to people kind of regardless of where they fall. But we definitely attract uh, women who understand the power of entrepreneurial values, not only historically to get our country to where it is today, but as the best means for us to move forward and provide more opportunities um, for people, you know, across the board.
0: Those briefs are legit. We, as you know, recently did an event with you and you all put together a fabulous brief on donor privacy and some of the issues around charitable giving that was everything that we hoped it would be uh, I mean it was it was well, perfect and so and I to do that over that. and over again on all these issues is, is pretty remarkable so I'm curious why you think it's grown so much I mean it kind of started in Chicago I believe now you're in 44 states across the country um, you've got a dynamic set of founders Sylvie Legere and others who are great evangelists for the work but you know is it just the substance that you think is attracted people and helped you in a pretty fast track of growth or what else has made the idea catch on?
2: Well, you, you struck on one thing that I think is really important is that we have three co-founders who are tireless advocates and champions. And, and the, the organization actually sort of started simultaneously Sylvie Legere in a suburb of Chicago and then Angela Brawley and Kathy Hubbard in Indianapolis. And what these women did is they really brought together very interesting women. And from that initial base, we just have some of the most remarkable dynamic civic and business leaders. And so what I'm going to say is one of the reasons that we continue to grow, it's the quality of women that we attract, because this has really been largely word of mouth. Like we don't advertise, we don't have a PR firm, right? This has been Women get together and they're like, wow, I'm so impressed with the brief, as you said, that really is sort of our marquee product. But then they're also impressed with the, the thought leaders we bring to the table. But I'll be honest, at the end of the day, it's the other women. And when we gather in person or virtually, that's the feedback we get. And what's developing out of this, Peter, that I think has led to the growth is that women have this authentic connection. Like they find an ally or they find someone else, for instance, that's really concerned about a similar issue. And you'll have a woman in Kansas talking to a woman in Florida, and they're trading stories on how they've been effective in addressing an issue in education, for instance. This just happened. Uh, And so what we're building is a national network, 44 states, like you said, of, I think, remarkable women. And they tell their friends, and they typically have a circle of equally interesting engaged civic-minded friends. So I do think it's the grassroots nature, but the quality at the end of the day um, is something that honestly started from the very beginning and it, and it continues to replicate.
0: And what do you think the impact is? I mean, if somebody comes in, they join a policy circle, You know, maybe they, they watch the news, they kind of understand what's going on, but how do the women who are involved change over time through their involvement? What do you see? What's typical?
2: I'm going to give you one example that I find particularly compelling. There's two women in Illinois. One is a seasoned state. uh, She was a senator, state senator. And so she has been a lawmaker. She served in numerous elected roles. So she comes to the policy circle. She's already very savvy. But what she liked were the briefs. So she joins a circle. She makes friends with a woman named Vasavi. And Vasavi is an Indian-American immigrant who really felt like she was lacking in even fundamental constitutional knowledge. She wanted to build her civic knowledge. So she joins this group. Okay, fast forward, they've spent two years together and built friendships in their circle. Well, Vosby decides she wants to run for mayor of her suburb. And with Darlene, who's this seasoned legislator, they work together, but we also have our civic leadership engagement roadmap. And I alluded to that earlier. And this is something we launched last year. VASAVI participated in this program, and it's a three-month asynchronous learning, right? So there's virtual gatherings where you have about 30 other women, and um, you develop kind of mastermind groups within it, but you develop a peer group. But the curriculum is really designed so that they start with the Constitution We partnered with Hillsdale to do a constitutional course at the beginning. And then versus a lot of passive sort of programs out there, these women have to go into their community, develop town hall relationships, meet with elected officials. And so it's a real combination of learning and doing. And so through uh, her circle involvement and then this civic leadership engagement roadmap framework, Vasafi took a leap. She ran and she narrowly lost and what was interesting though is Darlene, kind of a veteran of winning and perhaps not always winning office, had used this platform you now have, right? She had an elevated profile. She's now teaching civics to the Indian American community that she's in, and and spreading the the power right of understanding founding principles. And so that is one example. I know it's long, but I love that story because it's really too unlikely. Uh, sort of friends linking arms and using the policy circle framework to launch themselves in a in a whole new way.
0: That's a great story and a great example of of what you've built and, and how it can launch folks. So uh, kudos to you and the whole team for everything you've built. And Stacey, Blakely, appreciate you being with us today.
2: Well, it's been my pleasure and we certainly appreciate your collaboration and partnership, Peter.
0: We'll round things out today by traveling to campus. Listeners know well the struggles of conservatives on college campuses around the country. And while there's a lot of groups actively engaging that crowd, the only one I know that is focused specifically on female co-eds is the Network of Enlightened Women. I'm joined by president and founder of the Network of Enlightened Women, or new as it is better known, Karen Lips. Karen, let's go back to the early days of the organization what was it you saw or or that you experienced on campus back when you were an undergrad that led you to found New?
3: Well, Peter, thanks so much for having me with you today. Uh, New started 17 years ago now when I was a student at the University of Virginia. I had interned in DC, loved being around women who cared about policy and weren't necessarily just throwing out kind of the Democrat and Republican one-liners, but were really talking about how the issues affected women and I returned to UVA, there was a women's center and women's studies departments and women's groups that were supposedly there for the benefit of women. But instead, I quickly realized they had one vision of what women should believe, a progressive view. That made me want to start something for conservative women. So that's when I started new as an intellectual home, to read about the women who were left off our college syllabi and to talk about conservative ideas. And I really believe now, Peter, that young women and women in general are are key to the future of freedom. The left is using women and women's groups to promote their vision. And it's important that uh, conservative women have a means to speak up.
0: So we'll get into what New is doing on a day-to-day basis. But what I'm curious... Have you seen, 17 years later, are the challenges for conservative women on campus the same that you were experiencing? Are they worse? Are they any better?
3: Unfortunately, they're worse. And I'll tell you why, Peter. It's because years ago when I started this, it seemed like the left just wanted to ignore conservative women or engage um, somewhat in a battle of ideas. But now it's as if the left finds conservative women personally offensive and wants to stamp them all out. Uh, we're hearing from our students on campus that they're facing immense pressure, not just from faculty and, and administrative administrators. And you know, we've seen the studies about um, how many more liberal faculty and administrators there are. But a growing problem now is that the students themselves are becoming the censors. Uh, Not just in, you know, politics classes, but in sororities and in social groups and in dorms. And that is a really tough pressure to combat when it's coming from their peers.
0: Yeah, that's sad to hear. (laughs) Not unexpected, I guess. You know, there's a lot of conservative student groups out there. Obviously, a lot of them have social groups. Uh, but yours is different in that it's solely talking to, to conservative right-of-center women. So talk to us about how NEW is different. What are you doing? What are some of the activities that you're doing on campus?
3: So NEW, you started as a book club with education as the main focus, and we continue to have education as a centerpiece of the organization. We want to engage women um, on serious ideas, want to train them to be able to talk about them and engage on those ideas on campus. We're organized as women's leadership organizations on more than 50 college campuses around the country, providing uh, that education, but then also the training and the network. And Peter, one thing that's been interesting over the years is the networking point part of this organization has just become more and more important because the women want to feel that they're part of something. It's it's hard to really explain the pressure that they feel. And so having the community anew and that network is so valuable to them. And so we've been investing more and more in that. We also, in addition to our campus programs, have a growing professional network for our alums who wanna stay engaged and then provide some national programming for our students who really wanna deepen their relationship and get more advanced training, such as our leadership retreat where we bring our top students together. This year it's gonna be in Austin, Texas in August. So they're, they're all looking forward to that. And then we also have some national themes that we promote each year. So this year, our theme is Lead Like a Lady, uh, encouraging our women to be leaders now on campus, even when they really face that silencing pressure. And the idea is that we want to train them and encourage them to speak up now and develop that pattern of civic engagement for now and in the years to come.
0: It's it's a lot of stuff you're doing, and it's all great. And I love the fact that you're continuing to cultivate these young ladies after they have left campus. I think that's that's so important. Maybe to help us really understand the impact you're having, is there a good example, a good story of someone who has gone through the new program that, that's kind of had their trajectory changed thanks to the work you're doing?
3: Yes. Let me share a story of, of one of our current students, uh, Franchetta Groves, who is a junior at Catholic University in DC. She found new just at her activities fair. So imagine of all the clubs a student could get involved in, you know, sh- the new booth stood out to her and she went to the first meeting and talks about how she looked around and saw 50 women there who were kind and smart and she wanted to engage with them. So she found her group. And since then, we've provided all kinds of opportunities for her um, from hearing speakers on campus to providing scholarships. We've provided scholarships for her to attend. CPAC a couple years ago in our leadership retreat, and she got published for the first time through news. She was part of our student media fellows program where we train women how to speak to media and write op-eds. And we got her published for the first time. And she just really stood out to us. So we brought her on as an intern. She did a great job and then recommended her to the Heritage Foundation, where she was part of their internship. So I think one of the things that's great that NEW is doing for the overall conservative movement is that we're serving as a pipeline um, for the conservative movement. We've had alums, Peter, you, you know some of them who've worked throughout the conservative movement at AEI and Heritage and IWF who got their start in NEW. So uh, in addition to the role of just training these women to be leaders, I think we're playing an important role in being an early pipeline to feed these women into other organizations as well.
0: That's so valuable. We need these organizations all working together to find the talent and move them around, get them not just moving chess pieces around, but really actually help people develop because that's that's how we find the future leaders, right? So one of the things that we see in the donor community is that donors who are often older, the way they think about some of these issues that are affecting younger generations is, and the way they talk about them is very different than how the young ladies and the young gentlemen uh, who are on college or new young professionals, even in high school on down, how they're thinking about some of these problems. Do you see any of that? Do you have any uh, generation gap, if you will, between the donors to your work or the, the maybe older activists to the people who are on the ground?
3: Well, one thing I noticed, Peter, is that some of our, um, some older conservatives don't have a sense of just how much pressure these young women face as i mentioned before both direct and indirect from their professors peers social media and that pressure is something that we're facing and it's something that we have to engage directly we've got to provide that community and it makes having a women's focused group so important many of our students are part of other conservative groups and go to those programs. Uh, But having the women's group is really key for some of these young students on campus who are making the decision every day as to whether they are going to speak up on campus or stay quiet. And I think it's important that we get them to speak up now so they develop that pattern and continue to do so uh, in the years to come. Another thing I'll mention is that we've also found some great issues for conservatives Dealing with how overregulation can hurt women from women who are part of our network. Uh, a few years ago, DC was trying to regulate a, a co-op preschool, and I ended up writing a piece for it for the Washington Post to get help get attention for it. And often, overregulation issues maybe aren't the sexiest issues that are out there, Peter. But this was really going to affect um, some women I knew, um, and ultimately, one of my children. Um, I ended up putting him in this co-op and we had a great experience. So the everyday interaction with the over-regulation that we see, um, we were able to bring that issue forward. Um, also right now I'm working on an issue about uh, regulating lawyers that some states don't allow part-time lawyers um, to waive in or to get licensed if they move from another state without having to sit for the bar exam again. And we know, uh, a majority of lawyers who work at law firms part-time are women. So this seems like an issue that really women should stand up on and speak out. So I think we are also providing value in terms of identifying some issues uh, that conservatives can work on to advance uh, all women.
0: So what you're saying is the the grown-up issues can come down and the Issues facing the younger folks can go up, and, and actually, there can be a cross pollination of ideas amongst generations. They don't have to talk past each other.
3: Yes, exactly. So,
0: well, it's been great to watch New Grow over the years, and your leadership is awesome. Uh, Karen, really appreciate it. Thanks for being here today.
3: Well, thanks, Peter. It's always a pleasure to work with you.
0: During my tenure in the Liberty world, it has been so enjoyable to watch these three organizations grow and thrive. They are vitally important, and there is no ceiling, glass or otherwise, to the impact that they can have in expanding the world of those advocating for Liberty and free market principles. You know, Karen mentioned that the problem on campus has actually grown worse because conservatives aren't just ignored now, but are rather seen as persona non grata. And in a weird way, that's a victory. Because it means those who are out there working to advance these ideas are gaining ground. Our values gain ground because there are great social entrepreneurs like these women that we spoke to today or the people we've talked to in past episodes, but also because of donors like you who are listening. If you would like to support any of the groups we spoke to today, you can do that with a grant through your Donors Trust Donor advice Fund or make a gift directly. We'll have links to their websites in the show notes at DonorsTrust.org slash podcast, and I encourage you to check those out. You know, We do this show to help you find new groups to advance the goals of your philanthropy. I hope you have found some, and we'll continue to find new groups as we go through future episodes. And you know what? If you do, I'd love to hear about it. Email us at TellMeMore at DonorsTrust.org, and let me know if you've started to give or expanded your support for any of these groups after hearing about it or just share any other thoughts or feedback or ideas that you want to send along. We are always eager to hear from you. Well, thank you very much for listening. Let's talk more soon.